Yesterday is history. Tomorrow is a mystery, but today is a gift. It is not our abilities that show what we truly are. It is our choices. Hello and welcome to Jen Taylor Rerouting, where being rude is never acceptable, but sarcasm is welcome and swearing isn't always a bad option. Let's get started. Thank you so much for joining me on Jen Taylor Rerouting. My goal is that every guest becomes a friend and I feel truly blessed to know the people that I've interviewed. If you want to know more information about me from being a guest on this show to my virtual assistant services for podcasters, or perhaps you want to be a published author, I have coaching and ghostwriting services for that. You can find everything that you want to know on jentaylor.net. Remember to give a shout out, share, like, Give me some feedback on all of my interviews. I'm happy to join in on the conversation with you. Have a great day. Today, I'm pretty excited. I have J.D. Tierney with me. J.D., how are you? I'm doing well. Yourself? I'm fantastic. I'm, I'm thrilled about this interview. You are the owner-operator of Southpaw Laser Concepts. And where are you out of? I'm based out of Corpus Christi, Texas. Well, we'll forgive you for that. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I lived in Abilene. Does that count? Eh, kind of. Not really. At least I don't, I, don't, I don't really count the panhandle. No, no. All <laughs> right. There's going to be people in panhandle that hear this. And, and I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I am too, because I, I lived in Abilene, so it wasn't my favorite time, but that's all right. So today we're going to talk a lot about life in the military, loss, a lot of loss, alcohol abuse, the importance of family, reinventing yourself, and getting your shit together. That about sum it up? That's a pretty apt description, yes. Pretty apt. So you were born into the military. Tell me about your dad. Uh, my dad was a Navy veteran. He, he went in, volunteered during Vietnam, served some time over there, uh, heard pieces and parts of stories, never too much. Um, after that, he did uh, air traffic control for, for many years on the boat, on land. Uh, I was born in Corpus uh, when he was in the Navy. Then we moved to uh, San Diego and moved to Beeville, Texas, where there used to be a Navy base. But back when uh, uh, Bush Sr. was president, they were closing all the bases. Uh, that was one that was on the chopping block. Uh, he got out of the military right before they closed the base there. We just stayed there. Small town. It was a, it was a nice town back then. Worked as a civilian, doing the same job for a while uh, after he got out of the military at uh, Kingsville Naval Air Station. He good taught job. he taught you a good uh, work ethic, I would think. Oh yeah, yeah, and I, I didn't I didn't that's something I really didn't realize until I was older and had kids of my own. Uh, I remember. At one point, he was working at a uh, pizza delivery place and a fast food restaurant and something else. All three jobs at the same time while getting his shit together to go to uh, go to school. He loved motorcycles. Uh, I love motorcycles, I guess, <laughs> because of him. Um, he went to a motorcycle mechanic institute in Phoenix for a while, that's he was working so hard to save up for, plus keeping a roof over our head, plus food on the table, all that stuff. So it's something I really didn't appreciate until 
later on in life. I really wish I could have uh, expressed that more. Uh, yeah, he was a solid guy. He really was. I don't think most of us understand as kids what it takes to take care of kids until we have to do it, which is kind of unfortunate. It'd be nice if kids appreciated how hard it is, but eventually they figure it out when they're on their own. So you had a brother, older brother, that went Army. Yeah, uh, Randy, yeah. He was uh, nine years older than me. Um, we shared a bedroom until his sophomore year in high school. I Looking back, I was talking about to this, uh, talking about this with my wife the other day, about how shitty that must have been for him being a sophomore in high school and sharing a bedroom with a first or second grader. But uh, to digress, yes, he joined uh, right after high school. He joined the army, went airborne, um, was in Fort Benning for a while, went to uh, Alaska. I don't remember the base that it was for a while. Um, got out uh medical after four or five years just blew out his knees tore his back up jumping out of planes um and then uh when everything started going down in iraq uh he took a civilian contracting job out there and was in iraq for seven years uh would come home a couple weeks a year but besides that he was he was there and, as a civilian, though. Yes, as a civilian contractor, yeah. He was working for a KBR. So tell me a little bit about what you were like as a teenager. Your brother, there's a big age gap, and then so you were kind of alone. And uh, tell me about your teen years. Uh, to be quite frank, I was a shithead. I was... Uh, I don't know what spurred it. You know, I used to blame it on my parents, but it's not their fault. Uh, I was just very self-centered, very immediate gratification type A personality. Um, ran around with the wrong crowd. Just drinking, partying, doing all the stupid shit you're not supposed to do, but way beyond what a lot of other It wasn't just a Friday thing for me. It was just about every day. And uh, got to the point, a friend of mine, my freshman year of college, my first semester of college, actually, a really close friend of mine uh, got arrested for, uh, for pot and underage alcohol. And at that point, I was like, oh, I need to, I need to straighten my shit up. I need to do something. Next day, I walked into a recruiting office, didn't wait to hear their spiel or them to sell me on anything. I just said, sign me up. And a couple months later, I was shipped off to boot. And that was Air Force. Yes, I went to the Air Force. Uh, basic tech school and permanent party all at Lackland, with the exception of a couple of uh, short deployments. Uh, Lackland's in San Antonio, for folks that don't know. So I joined the Air Force to see the world and moved 82 miles from the house. <laughs> I was military dependent for four years in the Air Force, and that's why I was in Abilene. So <laughs> that's hilarious, though. Uh, so you didn't see the world. You were in security forces. And tell me, how long were you in? Because I know you were honorably 
you you got out on um, discharge honorable conditions and but how long what was the time frame of that? Uh, it was just shy of five years by the time i got out okay uh, yeah, I'm kind of kicking myself in the ass now. It would have been less than a year from retirement if I would have stayed in. But say la vie. Everything happens for a reason. It does. And uh, like you said, you were a little type A and maybe bullheaded. So when you got out of the military, you did five years in security forces. <coughs> How were you as far as your drinking and partying then? Um, when I got out... I fell right back into old habits and now that I could buy booze legally, I was of age, it was 10 times worse. It, you know, and I, I don't want it to be a sob story. There's thousands of other people that have been through the exact same scenario. So, uh, but it was just crawling, stumbling, drunk five, six days out of the week for easily six, eight months after I got out of the military. Um, I met, who's now my wife, the day I got out of the military and got home, um, she actually bartended at the bar that I was going to all the time and subsequently ended up working at. And uh, it was her and my brother that put a lot of stuff in perspective for me and made me clean my shit up. Like, uh, I got into some other substances I'm not going to really name at that time as well. But uh, my brother found out, and I was living in an apartment with him. He threw me through a wall when he found out. And when I say threw me through a wall, I don't mean he pushed me against it aggressively and chewed me out. I mean, I went through two pieces of sheetrock, and then him on top of me asking me what the fuck I'm doing and what I'm doing with my life. and and looking up at him and seeing more pain than anger uh, and at the same time my wife who was my girlfriend at the time uh, threatened to leave me and at that point I was like yeah I'm done with this shit and from that day forth it's been uh, with, the exception of, uh, with the exception of alcoholics it's been clean, clean living cold turkey, no support group, no 12 step. It was got to do what's right. Which is pretty outstanding. Um, now you were working, you're kind of a little all over the place with work. You were into PI construction. I mean, like they don't have anything in common. Um, bartending and you're trying to kind of find where you fit. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah. It was, I, yeah, it was exactly like you said. I needed to find where I fit. It was nothing. Everything sounded good initially. But if I'm working somewhere, I want to have that feeling of fulfillment and, and purpose, not just earning a buck. You know, the, And I know it's the adult thing to do. Nobody likes their job. Or very few people actually like their job. And you do what you got to do to pay the bills. But that, that was just never good enough. And, and so it was just testing the waters in a lot of different places until I could find something that was that suited me better. Which is, there's nothing wrong with that. A lot of us need to do that. Uh, you said you were still self-centered, though. And by this time, you're, you're married. You got married in 05. 
Yes, yes. Got married in 05. Um, and we were living in Tyler at the time. Got married in my hometown of Beville, but um, we were living in Tyler, Texas, where my wife was going to college. Uh, still just partied all the time. It was just legal partying at that point. Um, my wife graduated. We moved back to Corpus. Took a job bartending, which obviously isn't the best idea for somebody who is uh, alcohol dependent. <laughs> um, and we party. It was her paycheck. She works in, in the medical industry. Her paychecks paid all the bills. My paychecks paid for us to go out and get retarded every day. And uh, and then the, the day came where she said she was pregnant. I remember it so vividly. A buddy of mine came and was like, you're going to be a dad. I'm going to take you out and you're going to get drunk. And between the two of us, we had like a $300 tab. And this was in 07. It was, it was ridiculous. That's a whole nother story for a whole nother day that night. But um, after a couple of weeks where the reality of it sank in, saw some sonogram pictures, heard the heartbeat for the first time. It was like, I can't bartend and raise a family. It's, it was time to put, put that childish shit aside and be responsible for somebody besides myself at that point. <clears throat> so at that point, I took a job doing uh, construction for a, for a business. It was nationwide commercial construction. We did a lot of stuff after Katrina um, in Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, Florida, that whole coastline. Um, start off pushing a broom basically and within a month and a half had my own crew. Um, within three months project coordinating for them and uh, unfortunately contact, contracts dried up and work work just disappeared and then if the contract was still there I'd probably still be working for the guy this day it was a great job he treated his people really great and it kind of seeing that leadership outside of the military kind of showed me uh, what a business owner should be like for a small business and kind of steered me to some degree where I'm at today um, now that ended and you took an entry-level job again you're starting over again in the oil fields uh, yeah my brother-in-law had a job in the oil fields as a uh, mud logger which is essentially an uneducated geologist um, whatever the when they're drilling into the ground and the the rock and dirt and minerals it's cutting out come back out um, you're looking at those under a microscope mixing them with uh, some chemicals to identify what uh, what kind of lithologies and, and geology uh, um, characteristics they have so they know what formations they're in to find oil, uh, natural gas, things like that. <clears throat> it sounds a lot more glorious than it is sitting in a tiny, tiny trailer, living out on location. I did a 114-day stretch with no days off for that company one time. The paychecks were great, but I was burned out um, again working for a really great company out of uh, Houston 
uh, it was a in, in the oil fields it was considered a small business but there was close to probably a hundred employees and the president of the company knew every single employee's name their wife's names um, you know real uh, real involved in each person's personal life not just a number on a piece of paper and uh, but I wanted to move up I stayed there for four or five years and um, I remember very vividly uh, February 24th 2013 uh, got a call from my mom I was on shift about two hours from from my hometown and uh, she told me that my brother was in a wreck and I didn't hear anything else about that but I knew he was on his bike and on his motorcycle and uh, I woke up the guy that was working nights for me and told him that he needed to take over. I felt really bad because he'd only been asleep for about 45 minutes after working 12 hours. And uh, <clears throat> I made it home in about 45 minutes, what normally would have been about a, a two hour drive. And uh, my, uh, my brother was killed. And uh, I called my company up that day and said I wasn't sure if or when I was going to be returning. Um, yeah, that was, that's probably the most vivid day of my life as far as memories go. This is your brother. During the time you're on the oil rig, your second baby was born and you couldn't get there for the birth because you were on the, the rig in Louisiana. Yeah, yeah. But um, your brother was there for it. Yeah, my my uh my second baby, his middle name is is after my brother. Uh, they share the name. Um he got to make it there for the for the birth and played daddy for 18 hours for me to be able to make it home. You know, it didn't cross any boundaries. I don't want anybody to take it that way. <laughs> but it was it was great that he was there, especially since, you know, he was in Iraq when when I got married, he was in Iraq when my first son was born. Um, so I think that that was a, a really great opportunity for him to experience family again. And then you find out later that that he was killed in an accident by a driver who had no license, no insurance, and didn't get charged. Yeah, he was... Uh, uh, there's no way we can prove it, but I, I don't even know if I want to say this, but I honestly think that he was an illegal alien. And I'm not going to say what country or anything like that, but um, it took the police officers two hours to find somebody with a matching name and date of birth with a license in the United States, not just the state of Texas. It was a license out of Florida that shared the same name and date of birth, but I don't know if that was the person. He disappeared immediately after uh, the initial interview on scene. Nobody saw him after that. Uh, and it just sucks that, you know, he was in Iraq for seven years, took several direct ID hits. Uh, I didn't know how bad it was over there for him until his funeral. <coughs> um, 
when there's guys come, there was at his funeral, there was, it was, uh, sorry if I'm stumbling, this is not easy. Um, it was standing room only and there were people in the hallway of guys that he had served with over there, uh, both military and civilian and hearing stories of when they're taking fire and he's leaving his truck to go pull somebody else out of their truck. And, um, yeah, it was just countless stories like that where he put himself in harm's way to save other people's lives. And it's stuff that he never talked about, never bragged about. Um, and you know, that was a little over four years ago and it's still, still really fresh. And you ended up never going back to work, correct? For the oil? No, no. Um, I ended up taking care of the estate, which if nobody's ever dealt with that, that's a 40 hour a week job in its own, dealing with all the lawyers and probate and insurance and, and all that stuff. And uh, we had a little bit set aside. We were actually getting ready to buy a house. We had some set aside for me to not work, be able to take care of that be there for my mom and, and my sister and my dad. And I was functioning during the day, but crawled right back into that bottle at night and was uh, lost close to 40 pounds just from not eating, drinking all the time, not sleeping. Um, Not my proudest moment, for sure. You were taking care of everyone, though. And 11 months later, tell me what happened then. Well, uh, well, I ended up, ended up inheriting the house that my brother owned. And uh, my wife and I were laying down almost asleep. And I get another phone call from my mom. This is in January of uh, 2014, 11 months after my brother died. And my mom calls me hysterical saying that my dad is on the ground and not breathing. And uh, <coughs> they live out in the country. And uh, I threw pants on, two different shoes on, and just got out the door as quickly as I could, hauled ass out there. And by the time I got there, uh, sheriff's deputies were already out there. Uh, one of whom was a uh, really good friend of my brother from junior high and high school and beyond. He's been a friend of the family forever as well. And, and he kind of grabbed me as I'm trying to run into the bathroom and stops me. And uh, he had a stroke and he was dead before his body even hit the ground. So that bottle I just crawled out of, <laughs> right back into that son of a bitch. I, I see a theme here, saying it all out loud. And I should probably <laughs> find another coping mechanism. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> I don't know. I run, so you know. So you you were thirty four then, correct? And you're feeling like I mean you're the patriarch of the family. You're the one kind of helping everyone. 
and you weren't working. So you decided to go back to school. Uh, yeah, there was, well, um, rewind us a little bit. Um, between that time I had gone back to work, um, doing the, the same thing, but, um, I decided that I needed to do something better. I didn't want to be on that bottom rung. Even though there was room to move up within that company, I just didn't want to be in the bottom rung in the oil industry anymore. Um, took some of the inheritance money that my brother had left and um, paid for engineering school and uh, graduated fourth of my class in uh, drilling fluids engineering. And there was less than a half of a point between valedictorian and the fifth place person it was low. wow and it was funny we were all guys that studied together nightly <laughs> but while you were in school your wife you you guys lost a baby yeah, yeah. this is a lot in a pretty short amount of time yes okay. uh, we were eight or ten weeks along and while I was in class, she she uh, called me up and said that she had uh, lost the baby. And um, she ended up. It was a it was a Friday, and I was in the middle of a test when I got the call. And I told one of my instructors what was going on, and uh, he he asked me if I needed to to go home or anything, and. and Looking back, I don't know if it was the right decision or wrong decision, but I decided I was going to stay and finish the test. And then as soon as the test was over, I took off and came home. And when she miscarried, um, when I got home, I ended up having to take her to the hospital because she wouldn't stop bleeding and she lost a ton of blood. And the hospital said if we would have gotten there about an hour later, she probably would have died. She was literally minutes away from having to have transfusions um, part of her uterus had gone septic it was just it was horrible um, she spent several days in the hospital recuperating and then was at home on bed rest uh, luckily she has sisters that live in the same area plus my mom and my aunt that lived there to, to help her out so i could get back to school and and do what I had to do to, to graduate. <laughs> and you did, and you did, you graduated very well. And then you took a job once you graduated and, and the job had an, a non-compete. Yeah, yeah, I took, it was, there were several months after I graduated before I found somebody that would, that was actually hiring. And of course the first person that gave me an offer, I'm like, yes, absolutely. 100% yes. Um, and a lot of the larger, companies like the multi-billion dollar international uh, corporations have non-compete clauses. So if you're working for them under a certain uh, job title, it's non-compete. You can't. So in my case, I couldn't stop working for them and go engineering for somebody else in the same state for uh, doing the same job. And I was like, ah, oh, it doesn't matter to me. I'm here for the long haul. Signed it. No problem whatsoever. And then shortly after that, I realized that they were oversaturated with 
with employees. And I was working four to eight days a month, maybe. Oh my and God. even though I, and the way the pay worked is I got a, a, a base salary every month and then a day rate. So I got paid for every day I was out there, regardless if it was one hour or 23 hours, got paid the same amount. Some days you won, some days you lost. But that base salary was just enough to pay the bills, not enough to really do anything beyond that. You know, it was beans and rice and ramen noodles and Totino pizzas, you know, just super cheap stuff. And at the time we had two kids and I was, that's, I didn't want that um, for my kids. So I didn't want to have to keep telling them, no, we can't do this because we can't afford it. You know, when my, how old was he at the time? He was six or seven, my oldest. And this kid is too damn smart. I know every parent says that about their kids, but this, he, he's too damn smart and when he he puts together at six or seven years old that money's tight and we can't afford things and, and he starts saying well i don't want this because i know we can't afford it not because we're saying it to him but because he was over his conversations that was kind of the 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 calling to where i need to do something different you know my kid is trying to sacrifice stuff that's this is not good parenting to me and your wife ends up pregnant again. Again, yes. <laughs> so I see another thing. I'm trying to figure out where that comes from. The water. Pregnant again. And so I'm like, I need to find something better. And I already had a, a like a five-year plan, 10-year plan in, in the oil industry. I knew the, the hierarchy and where it goes. So I figured the next logical step was going to uh, what's called MWD or measurement while drilling. And uh, another term for them for MWD is movie watching dude because you sit out there and watch movies all day long. And I'm not going to get into the technical aspects of, of what it does, but it was just the next logical step up to make the next logical step up and so on and so forth. Um, and I, uh, I went and applied for this one company. And it was like three months where twice a week I'd call them and every other Tuesday I would walk into their office and shake their hand and, and uh, just talking to the manager. And, and one day I, I finally told him, I'm like, you know, I'm going to keep calling. I'm going to keep coming in. I'm going to keep bugging you until you hire me or you tell me to fuck off in those exact words. I, and at right after that, he said, you know what? You're hired and we'll see you in two weeks. So I went, turned in my two weeks notice with the other company I was with. And was, uh, I remember it was the Thursday before I was supposed to start, they called me up and they're like, yeah, we can't hire you. The oil fields are, are dipping and we're on a hiring freeze. And I made uh, a couple of phone calls to the higher ups within that company and, and said some very choice words about how I can't recant a, a a resignation from a large company and tell them, Hey, I was just kidding. Ha ha. Yeah. You can't do that. They ended up hiring me after all. And, um, again, just had some really, really great leadership there. Um, I'm still in contact with, with most of the guys uh, to this day. And, uh, <clears throat> so yeah, we were, uh, 
I was working there. Normally, training would stay six weeks before you got bumped out of training into regular full-time employee status and pay and everything like that. I was in training pay for three months and I really didn't care because I had a job and two weeks after I was hired, they had the first round of layoffs and I still had a job. So I wasn't going to complain whatsoever. Um, yeah. In there somewhere your, your son was born. Your the third baby's born. Yeah. Um, yeah. I finally got out of training status. I was working on the field and at this point, all the all the business in the oil fields was up in West Texas, Midland, Odessa area, within a couple hours of Midland, Odessa. So I'm working up there, which is eight to ten hour drive, depending on where you're at back home. And um, my wife was in labor for about two and a half weeks, and they couldn't induce, they couldn't do anything. It was just life sucked for her. And I talked to my company; they let me go work in the shop just so I can be at home because we had no clue when it was going to come. And that's one of the great things I loved about this company is uh, they were very family oriented and, and worked with me. And June 30th of uh, 2015, uh, my youngest son was born. And of course, we're super happy. My mom was there in the delivery room with us. Uh, one of our really close friends, Lindsay, was there with us. And uh, three or four hours after he was born, his uh, heart and lungs shut down, liver started shut down. Uh, he had some kind of a uh, strep virus in utero, and it's they test for it, but there's no real accurate way to 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 find out every single time. It was just one of those things that the doctor did what he could. And, uh, so he was rushed to the hospital in Corpus. I followed the ambulance. My wife stayed in the hospital there in uh, Bevo. <clears throat> he was hooked up to an oscillator, feeding tube. I think I counted like 18 medications for the first couple of days, all intravenous. Uh, we couldn't hold him or touch him for the first couple of days. Um, he had a brain bleed caused by all of it. So the doctors, of course, are saying all this worst case scenario stuff. And I'm just, after everything that's happened, I'm just like, no, no, no. And to make the story short and sweet, two and a half years later, um, he is a healthy boy. He is a huge kid. He's going to be a lineman or, or a goon for some hockey team or something. Uh, he's a tank. He's passed all of his uh, all of his uh, benchmark testing as far as growth and development. He's off the charts in a lot of them. You would never, ever, ever know he was sick, ever. Which, it was about time something good happened. So he's our he's our little miracle baby. And he's into everything, like normal two and a half year olds are. Oh, I swear to Christ, a kid has stretch Armstrong arms that just grow like six foot. And he's fast. 
<laughs> yeah, he gets into everything. I'm like, I don't remember the other two boys being that rambunctious. I'm sure they were, but it, well, yeah, it, it's fun. So about six months after he was born, and thank God everything turned out okay with him, because you'd have you've had a lot of loss. And then six months later, your uncle passes away. Yeah. Um, I met him when I was seven or eight years old. My aunt started dating him. And another guy on motorcycles. So, of course, I like to, you know, and there's pictures of, of him taking me out on motorcycle rides when I'm 10, 11, 12 years old with the, I look like a bobblehead with the, with the oversized helmet. Um, he was pretty much like a second dad, a little rough around the edges, but genuinely his heart was in the right place. Um, and you lived with them. Yeah, I lived, uh, when I was a shithead teen, I lived in their <laughs> backyard in the RV for about three months, four months, something like that. Uh, they never judged. It was open ears, more more of a friend than a family member. And uh, yeah, my uh, aunt called me up saying that she found him in the garden. And uh, he was out. He uh, he loved spicy stuff, so he had jalapenos and green chilies and ghost peppers and. Uh, he'd always make his own salsa at uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas and things like that. And he was out tending to his garden for the for the salsa stuff when he when he passed. And uh, so I had to go sit out there with my aunt in the garden and wait for the uh, law enforcement to show up and and the coroner to show up. And, uh, Sounds like a shitty B-rated movie. As much as <laughs> you know, it's I think it's life happening on life's terms, and why some of us go through some of the things we do, we we never really know. You're pretty. Uh, I don't know if I should say you persevere or you're stubborn, <laughs> but you uh, you decide after a decade in the oil industry, all while all this stuff is going on. Um, and you've had really great mentors, bosses, people running the company. You decide you need to be with your family more and still be able to provide an income. And you, so you get this idea to do the laser cutting and engraving business, but you don't know where, like, where the hell did that come from? That's not even any part of anything you've ever done. I honestly have no idea where the idea came from. No clue whatsoever. But I know that once that seed was planted for about two years, all I did was research, research, research. I was calling up uh, laser machine manufacturing companies, talking with them, telling them, hey, don't pressure me into buying anything today. I just want to learn. And then joining different Facebook groups about laser engraving and, and calling different companies up, asking them questions, which is cool. I found out that the, uh, the laser industry is very, very open about helping each other out. Uh, it's 
we're all competing against each other, but everybody wants to see the other guy succeed. It's really weird. I've never seen an industry that's like that. Um, so yeah, two years after research and making business plans and saving and I didn't go to a bank with a business plan. My wife made me go to her with a business plan before she let me spend that money because uh, I paid for everything out of pocket. I am in zero debt um, starting my company and have remained that way. I want to stay that way. Um, but I'm really glad she made me do the business plan because it put a lot of things in perspective because I knew how much I was going to spend. And uh, I was like, I'm going to be able to do this and that and buy this and buy so much of this product and a lot of this product. And then I started putting numbers down on paper and, and adding tax and shipping and, and everything else. Like, oh, shit. <laughs> let's, let's start with one or two things and we'll go from there. And you were working, you kept working your, your normal job. You were working eight to five and then you do dinner with the family and then jump into the laser business until like one in the morning, two in the morning. Yeah. I just, uh, even though I wanted it and I had faith in it and I had everything I needed, I, I couldn't justify quitting my job until I had financial proof of concept. So and not just one or two good sales. Like I wanted to see sustained growth before I quit the job. And I'm pretty sure any other business owner, I assume, will tell you that, you know, you're going to work and work and work and work and work and work and not sleep until you can build it. It's not just going to happen. Right. So you ordered the machine, you, you brought the business plan to your wife, which is awesome. And uh, you bought the machine, you're planning on working both jobs, and then what happened to me? Oh, yeah, that. Uh, so the first week of May, I got my machine in and I was so happy because it was, it was six or eight weeks after I ordered it before it finally showed up because they don't manufacture them until they're ordered. Um, and May 8th, I was leaving my regular day job to go to an appointment and I was riding on my motorcycle. Um, and uh, I was on the feeder road getting ready to get onto the, the main highway that runs through Corpus, SPID. And um, I looked back to make sure nobody was coming on off the off-ramp. And when I looked forward, the guy in front of me was at a dead stop at the yield sign for no reason. There was no traffic coming off. And so I had to jam on the brakes. And I knew that that wasn't going to work and I was going to hit him. So I swerved. And when I did that, I ended up going down. Um, and it's weird. I, I, you've heard of, of times slowing down or standing still mm -hmm. in, in moments. Well, this actually happened. It's, it's crazy because I can remember up until literally about a second before impact. I have a very vivid memory of it where I'm talking myself through the wreck. Okay, I'm going to lay my bike down on the left side. I'm going to slide on my back. Yeah, I talked myself through it, and, and I think that really helped me out. Um, so I'm here today with all my fingers and toes. But um, I went down, blacked out. I don't know if I just went to shock blacked out or if I was actually knocked out. I remember coming to long enough to realize I was in the middle of the road, 
I knew I was in a wreck. And all I could think was, holy shit, I need to get out of the road. So I crawled to the grass on the side and everybody's telling me, don't move, don't move, don't move. And I have no clue how many people were around me. And uh, I crawled to the side of the road to the grass and looked down at my hands and I just see blood streaming off my face out of my hands. And I blacked out again. Uh, woke up again in the ambulance and the uh, medic was going through the standard questions. What's your name? What's your phone number? Your address? Birthday? You know, all, the, all, those, all those standard questions just to see uh, what, what the potential injuries are. And I think I was trying to convince myself more than him that I was okay. And, and I very assertively answered every single question. And then went out again and and I don't remember too much once I got in the hospital but actually I don't remember for about three weeks it's it's kind of just like Polaroid pictures right just flashes of memories um, but the injuries were I shattered my cheek my left cheek uh, snapped my nose had multiple skull fractures on the left side of my head um, broke my front top tooth uh, snapped my clavicle in half, ripped the muscle off of the clavicle and the rib cage, like my pec muscle, bruised my ribs, bruised lung, and um, had a bad concussion, brain bleed. They said I was probably going to be in physical therapy, occupational therapy for months. Uh, I'd lost my sense of smell. And the neurologist said that it probably wouldn't come back because uh, part of the nerve endings that go from your brain into your nose got severed when my nose was broken. Uh, that was May, June, July, August, September, October. Five months later, I have my sense of smell back. I can do everything I could before. Like it, with the exception of some aches and pains, it's like it never happened. I graduated physical therapy, occupational therapy in five weeks instead of several months because I was asked this question about how you how did Joe overcome this so quick well because fuck you that's why that's how I because <laughs> I'm not gonna I was back at work within four weeks light duty because I, I can't sit at home and do nothing I, it, I hate being a tumor on the couch I can't do that I'm not gonna sit there and accept disability even though I've been given all the speeches about you earned it, you paid into it, blah, blah, blah. I can't do that in good conscience. You know, as soon as I was capable of doing paperwork, I went back to work and did paperwork. You had several, multiple surgeries to rebuild your cheek and your nose, and they put a plate and 10 screws in your collarbone. Yes, yeah. Uh, they, uh, I'm so fascinated by the surgery that they did to, uh, to rebuild my cheek. They did an incision on the top inside gum line um, between the cheek and the jaw. And they use this tool. It looks real similar to like a squished end of a pencil eraser. And use that tool to go in there and put the bone back in place little by little. So there's no scar or anything on the exterior of my face. I look, I'm still pretty. Very, very pretty. 
<laughs> my nose is straighter than it's been in probably 20 years. Um, yeah, they did the, they put the plate um, to reattach my, the two sides of my collarbone and then they had to rewrap the muscle around and basically screw the muscle into the bone. And the, uh, the x-rays look really cool if you're not grossed out. It looks like a caterpillar <laughs> with, the, with all the screws going through the plate. Um, so four weeks later, you're like, fuck that, I'm back at work. And you're, you started up your laser engraving business too. I mean, like you went right back like it was nothing. Yeah, I, I can't sit idle. When I sit idle, the mind goes to bad places and I don't want that to happen. And that I just don't like feeling lazy. I have to move around. I have to do something. And so, yeah, I was doing paperwork and just uh, general quality control and things that I could do within my medical legal limits because obviously they didn't want to do anything against doctor's orders and, and have liability. And I don't blame them for that. Um, I'd get home eat dinner and start working on the laser machine. I had to build something, I had to start from somewhere and putting it off wasn't going to help anything. I have two questions. One is how long had it been since you had disappeared into a bottle? And is, has that ever been an issue since way back the last time? Um, the last time that I was, really bad in the bottle was for my brother because that was just months and months and months um after my dad passed it wasn't as bad i like i, I stayed drunk for maybe a week and then kind of snapped myself out of it and you know i still drink to this day but i don't drink excessively i don't drink often um you know I don't buy into some of the theories of, of alcoholism and, and dependency. I think for me personally, I'm not going to try and preach to anybody about their situation, but for me personally, it's, it's a choice. I can choose to let it rule me or I choose to rule it. And um, so since then, I, I think I've part of it is my brain has just shut off certain emotions uh, to where I don't feel certain kinds of pain or, or so I don't need that that alcohol anymore I guess for for that and then another part is just a personal choice like it, it doesn't do me any good it doesn't do my kids any good you know they don't need to see daddy falling down they don't you know my second question is and I applaud the, the ability to turn off the alcohol um, and be responsible about it. My, but my second question is, what are the residual, now that the accident's been a while, is there anything residual from that motorcycle accident that you still deal with? I mean, you jumped right back into work and you took off, you know, I mean, you just did you. But um, what yeah. happened? Is there anything? I still have some pain in my shoulder. It's a nagging pain every day. And I'm sure part of it's my own fault for just pushing myself constantly. Um, 
not just for work, just doing things I probably shouldn't do yet because my body's not ready for it, but I'm stubborn and I don't care. <laughs> um, it, it's weird. My eye still gets black on occasion from the wreck and, and the surgeries. Um, every now and again, I get some pain where the breaks were in my face or I get some headaches. Um, besides that, um, I have some short-term memory loss. So I have to carry around a notebook with me everywhere I go and just kind of take notes. So if my wife asks me to do something later on in the day or later on in the week or something like that, I have to write it down just, just in case I forget it. It's getting better, but um, I found it's a really great habit to get into anyways. That's amazing. So four weeks after the accident, you're back working your regular job to the best of your ability. And you had just gotten your, your machine for the laser right before the wreck, the week before the wreck. So you jump into that too. And two months later, Southpaw laser is matching the income at your, I mean, Jesus, that's phenomenal. Yeah. I can't take the credit for that. I, I think the people that I've surrounded myself with is, is really who gets the applause for that because it was my friends, my family, my coworkers, um, various acquaintances that I've met maybe once or twice. They were the ones that were buying uh, different items from me left and right and asking, can you do this? Can you do that? And giving me ideas of what I should be able to do, stuff I hadn't even thought about. And so that support from, from everybody else and them having faith in me and, and my quality of work is really what boosted it um, initially. Uh. So do you feel like you found your niche more than you had before? Oh, absolutely. I, I, I'm 38 years old, well, I'm 38 on Friday. Um, so I'm 37 still for another couple of days. I'm aging myself, but I'm a grown man and I get to play with a freaking laser and I'm not going to lie. Every time I push start on the machine, I chuckle like a little kid. I mean, I absolutely love doing this and, uh, I'm trying to gear myself more towards, um, making products to brand other companies, especially startups and, and smaller companies helping brand them, finding stuff that they can sell or they can, they can show that's going to help them grow and seeing their faces when I give them this stuff. It's just, it's outside of, of being a dad and being a husband, it's probably the, the most fulfillment I've felt in a long time. Like I actually have a purpose um, you know, and, and I'm making money doing it. I mean, who can ask for more? True story. So, JD, where can people, what's the easiest place for people to find you? Um, Southpaw Laser Concepts on Facebook. Um, JD underscore at, the letters at underscore Southpaw on Instagram. And hopefully by the end of the week, if not mid next week, the website will be up and running with a lot of the products on there. It will be SouthpawLaserConcepts.com. And uh, I'm actually talking with the uh, designer later on today to get the final details cashed out on that. 
<clears throat> if not, always feel free to call me, text me, area code 903-258-0299. Um, just don't call late, late at night. I don't care, but my wife cares. Um, yeah, let me earn your business. I, that's, I like earning business. It's all, nothing's given to me. The Facebook page is awesome. And you, you do some great video rants. So <laughs> I, I, I did one rant and I've still been on the fence whether or not that using my business was the proper platform, but it, it was something that, that really felt, uh, it, it really hit home for me and I just needed to, to vent. And I'm still not sure if using my business to do it was the right idea, but I don't care. It's out there now. So <laughs> JD, thank you for your time today and for sharing your life with us about getting your shit together. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's all we can do. Let's get our shit together and keep it together. Thank you so much for listening in to Jen Taylor Rerouting. Like, share, and of course, comment. I welcome input with attitude. Get a copy of my book on Amazon, Hello, My Name is Warrior Princess, or check out my website, jentaylor.net. And if you still want more, sign up for one of my coaching packages.